Well, if you were here just a couple of weeks ago or you watched on live stream, John shared with us his life verse, the verse that drives and directs his life. And as a part of that, he shared a verse that was written to the Israelites at a time that they were in exile, which meant they were away from their homeland. And he also shared that sometimes we find ourselves in exile when we kind of wake up one morning and we look around and we're not in the place where we thought we would be emotionally or spiritually or in a relationship. And I have to tell you that when he said that, my husband and I looked at each other and just cracked up because we're pretty sure that if you asked any of our people back home, they would say we're in exile in the great white north of Michigan, (laughs) that we've left and been exiled from God's real country, Texas. But... (laughs) Uh, yesterday, Robert and I were sitting on our, in our porch, and it was 71 degrees and this beautiful light rain falling over the green trees, and my mom was texting me from back home where it was 111 <laughs> and in the middle of drought, so I'm pretty sure that there's a pretty solid argument for where God's country really is. Um, talk to me in the winter, but for now, I'm a fan. <laughs> my dear and brave husband, Robert, just had the opportunity, shall we say, this week to go back to Texas and drive our minivan and our 13-year-old and our two dogs up here himself, by himself. And um, that's how you know he loves me, right? Because I got to stay here and wait for the delivery from Home Depot while he drove all the way from there. So I kind of had forgotten how much I missed the noise of all of these beings back in our house. So last night, the dogs were running around and Our son was playing video games, and it just finally felt like home again, right, when you get all those people and creatures back in your house. How many of you are animal lovers? Any other animal lovers out here? Yeah, well, when I was a kid, I loved cats, and I had cats growing up, but then somehow that switch flipped in me. You know, you're like a cat person or a dog person. And I became a dog person, and not just like a normal dog person, but the really crazy over-the-top kind. Uh, My dogs, I throw birthday parties for them. If you're really lucky, I'll invite you and your doggy friends over. (laughs) My dogs have, um, on our mantle at Christmas, they don't just have stockings. They're like embroidered from Pottery Barn, the same as the rest of ours. They each have their own. They have Halloween costumes, like plural per dog, in case they want to change in the middle of Halloween. Uh, (laughs) My dogs got their own ID tags for Michigan before I changed our address at our bank. I'm not ashamed. I love my little furry creatures, and they are a part of our family. And especially when I think back to the first dog that I ever got when I had just become an adult and out on my own, I was 21, and I got a little chocolate Labrador, and I named her Grace. And she was the cutest puppy ever, right? She was the cutest puppy. How do you not be a dog person when you look at that? Um, Well, when Grace was a puppy, I had just started in ministry, in full-time ministry, and I was serving at a camp in Texas. And at our camp, everyone who was on staff lived in a trailer, and they were all kind of pushed back in the woods in a little housing village. And so we didn't have fences or yards. We just had a huge field in front of us, and everyone let their dogs and their kids play there. When you work in ministry, but especially in camp ministry, you work really weird hours. So one night, it was midnight before I got home because I got to be the lucky person who shut down the facility that night. When I got home, I went to let Grace out to go potty for the last time for the night, and she ran out in the field like she normally does. And then she also ran up on the porches of the trailers because where they were built in the woods, they had built giant decks that led up to each house. And in order to preserve some of the trees, they didn't cut them all down. They just built the deck around them. So your trailer might have a giant tree that would come and have a deck built around it. So Grace was running around, and then I realized after a few minutes I hadn't seen her 
for a little bit. So I went looking for her, and I found her up on one of the decks of one of the um, trailers that was next to me. And I saw that she was staring really intently at one of the trees that was coming out of the middle of that deck. So I whisper hollered at her, and if you're a mom, you know what that is, that whisper holler. Yeah. I whisper hollered at her to come here, and she didn't even move. She didn't look at me, nothing. And you know, it's midnight, I'm exhausted, I do not do well with disobedience. And so I decided I was gonna stomp over there and grab her by the scruff of her neck and show her who the boss of this family was about to be. So as I headed over there, I saw what it was that she was staring at. And around that big tree, there was coiled a six foot long, very poisonous copperhead snake. And Grace was staring intently at it. Well, that'll stop you in your tracks. The snake was, had its head off of the tree and its tongue, the forked tongue was going in and out of its mouth. So this time I hollered, there was no whispering, I hollered at her to get back over here and she looked at me. And if you've ever been around puppies or kittens, you know this look. It's the look when they're about to pounce on you or pounce on a toy or an imaginary thing floating by. That's the look she gave me. That'll really stop you in your tracks. Before I could reach her, in about 0.2 seconds, Grace pounced and the snake attacked. And before, in the next few seconds, I don't remember all of them, but my puppy, it ended with her running toward me. She was about 10 weeks old, just a little bit older than this picture. She was running toward me and she was dragging this snake because the fangs of this poisonous snake were embedded in her skull. Did I mention that I was 21 and single? in the woods, and it was midnight. Have you ever had a moment like that? A moment where you could choose to do something or not do something, and it was the choice between life and death? I mean, okay, that's maybe a little dramatic, but have you ever had a moment where you had the choice between being obedient and good things would happen, and being disobedient and maybe some really bad things would happen? We're going to do something a little different this morning, and I want you to turn to somebody next to you and actually answer that question to them. Have you ever had a moment where you've had to choose between being obedient and good things would happen, being disobedient, and maybe some really bad things would happen? And if you can't think of something right now about you, share about a time you know someone else who's been through a choice like that. I'm going to give you about two minutes. Go ahead and share. Well, thanks for sharing. Um, I hope that you had experiences that did not involve snakes. But I won't leave you hanging. Uh, so my puppy that night, I, through some mix of youth and stupidity and adrenaline, I managed to pull the snake out of her skull, and I threw it before it could recoil and attack me. And so I scooped up my little puppy, and I ran into my house, and I called my vet because, you know, when you live in the middle of nowhere, Texas, the vet answers the phone at midnight. And it turns out that Grace is not the only idiot Labrador that has ever existed. And God knew they would need just something a little extra in their lives, so Labradors have a natural immunity to copperhead venom. Who knew? Yeah. So all Grace needed was a couple of Benadryl and a few days to sleep it off, but she had two huge scars right here above her nose for the next 14 years. I am still scarred from that experience to this day. <laughs> but dealing with a life and moment life and death moment like that 
reminds me of the life verse that I'm excited to share with you guys today. It's what has driven and defined my life and ministry for the last 10 years or so. And I have to tell you that on the outside, I'm a family director. On the inside, I'm a little bit of a rebel. So my life verse is not really a verse. It's a sentence, and it's between two verses, and it's really obscure. You're never going to find it on a pillow or a blanket. It's not anywhere behind us. It's just who I am. But go ahead and grab your chair Bible or open up your Bible app on your phone or whatever you have, and we're going to look at the whole passage that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30. And this is from the Old Testament, so this is from way before Jesus was born, and it's Moses who's talking to the Israelites, who are God's chosen people. It's after he's led them out of slavery in Egypt. It's after they've received the Ten Commandments. It's during the time that they're wandering around in the wilderness before they enter the promised land of Canaan. So in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 to 20, Moses says this. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This is super uplifting, isn't it? I'm so glad you're here today. (laughs) Uh, It continues on, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now the verse that is so powerful and so defining in my life comes from the end of verse 19 and says this, Now choose life that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. When I'm studying the Bible, there are a few things that make me kind of sit up and take notice of a passage. So the first is if there's a phrase that's used over and over and over again. And the second is if it's a specific command that's given to us by Christ. The third is if it's a phrase that's used very rarely. And that's what we see here in this passage. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the word choose is used quite often in it. God chooses lots of things in the Old Testament. This is the only time that we see humans be the subject of that verb. So this is the only time in the entire Old Testament that humans get to choose something. So it must be important. It must matter. The choice that's laid out here by Moses is a choice for the Israelites between life and death, between loving God, walking in obedience to him, and following his commands, which is life, and being disobedient and being drawn away to worshiping idols, which is death. That seems like a pretty easy choice, doesn't it? Like if I was to ask you if you would like life or death, the vast majority of people in this world would choose life. If I took you and threw you in the ocean and you didn't know how to swim, your body would naturally try to float and breathe. We would subconsciously struggle for life over death. Now let me just pause here for a second and make sure that we're all on the same page about who Moses is talking to here. Because he's talking to the Israelites who are already God's chosen people. He is not telling them that they need to choose their faith or they need to choose their salvation. This is like a family meeting that Moses is having for the people who are already in God's family. So if we're going to take this passage and apply it in modern day, we have to do the same thing. 
This is not about how you can get into God's family. It's not about how you choose faith or you choose salvation. This passage is for people who are already believers, who already trust in Christ as the atoning sacrifice for their sins. So if you're here and you're not really sure what you believe, or you're just kind of checking this out for the first time, we are so glad that you are here with us today. But let me really make sure that you understand that this passage and what I'm talking about is not for you. It's for people who are already a part of Christ's family. So you kind of get a behind-the-scenes look at what it looks like to be a part of God's family today. What's really great and what can also be really challenging about it. Because being a Christian and being part of Christ's family is not always easy. In 2010, I took a group of high school students on a trip, on a mission trip to an orphanage in Jamaica. And it was a great trip. We had a great time. But when I came home, about a week later, I started to feel a little bit sick. And I just kind of got sicker and sicker as the time went on. And trips to the ER really brought me no diagnosis. Multiple ER doctors told me, oh, you just have a really bad cold. And we think you might have adult onset asthma that's come out of nowhere. But nothing that they did helped me. Nothing gave me any relief, and I just got sicker and sicker and sicker. And so after a few more weeks, I finally convinced my poor family doctor to run some tests for some really rare diseases. And in the end, it would turn out that I had whooping cough. I must have gotten it from one of the babies in the orphanage that I was holding and rocking and loving on during that week. I would end up being quarantined for two weeks to my house with no contact with the outside world whatsoever. I would cough so hard and have so little oxygen coming into my lungs that I would pass out and wake up on the floor. I broke four ribs because of the racking cough. In the end, Months later, the team of doctors who would treat me apologized to me. I've never had a doctor apologize to me. The team apologized to me and told me that I should have been in the ICU for at least a month instead of being left home alone by myself. The effects that that disease and that experience have had on my body and on my health have been pretty devastating. I have about 30% of the lung capacity that I did when it started. I spent years having to get a CT scan every two months to see if the damage that was done to my lungs had switched and turned into lung cancer. I was 30 when this happened. It wasn't how my life was supposed to look. And I wish that I could tell you that during that time, I was this perfect example of a Christian who was depending on God and trusting in him to heal me, but I wasn't. I trusted in my doctors that they knew they would figure it out, what was wrong and how to fix it and how to heal me and restore my health back to what it was. I wish that I could tell you that at night when I was scared by myself, that I would cry out to God for the Holy Spirit to comfort me. I didn't. I became a big expert on WebMD. I did everything that Moses says here is choosing death. I let so many things be in front of trusting God in this situation in my life. And because of that, I let this situation that was so frightening to me become exponentially more frightening, more isolating, and more difficult than it had to be if I had trusted in him. So this life verse, my life verse from Deuteronomy, doesn't tell us that life is going to be easy. But what it does say is that every day, I get the chance to choose life and the blessings that come from it. 
And there are three incredibly simple ways that Moses has given us to see what that actually looks like in our life. The first way is to, to choose life, is to choose to love the Lord your God. Now we say that all the time, don't we? I love God, you love God, we all love God. What does that look like? Well, Moses tells us in Deuteronomy chapter six to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might. So unpacking that is a whole different message. But suffice it to say this, loving God is not just a feeling that we have that's warm and fuzzy. And loving God is not just an intellectual understanding of the Bible. And loving God is not just some passive thing that we do in our church chairs on Sunday mornings. Loving God is a relationship that infiltrates every part of our being and every part of our day, every day. I have an old friend whose name is Emily who is the best example of this I have ever seen. And if you got to hang out with her for a day, the first thing you would notice is that she's hilarious. She makes you laugh all the time. And the second thing is that she's constantly thanking God or asking him for something. So it goes like this. If she were to drop something, she would say, thanks God that that didn't break. I would say, whew, that was a close one. <laughs> if she were to see a beautiful flower, she would say something like, God, thank you so much for this beautiful creation that you've given us to remind us of you. If she saw a man sitting alone on a bench, she might say, God, be with this man. I don't know where he's going or what's going on in his life, but you do. Be with him today. Let him know how much it is that you love him. And it's not weird. It's not forced. It's not showy. It's just who she is. That's what loving God really looks like. The second way that Moses has given us to choose life is to listen to God's voice. And that is something that in modern day America is becoming increasingly hard because of the noise out there. If you wanna drown out God's voice and desires for your life, all you have to do is turn on cable news. And the yelling and the fighting about everything and about nothing. My to-do list is so long that to think about sitting on my porch and being still and listening to God's voice sometimes seems impossible. My family, we just moved into a house that has a literal forest of weeds, y'all. It's a forest. We saw a groundhog in it. I thought it was a beaver. I didn't know what a groundhog was. <laughs> I wish I was kidding. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> there is so much to do. And so for me to think about being still is overwhelming sometimes. One of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther says this, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. If only it were that way for me, in my heart. The third way to choose life is to hold fast to God. Have you ever had a moment when your life was descending into so much chaos and turmoil and pain that it felt like God was not there? He was nowhere to be found. Well, God is always with us. He's right down in the muck and mire with us, and he has his arms wrapped around us, holding us in the midst of our sufferings. Holding fast to God means that when we choose life, instead of us reaching out and clutching for other things to comfort us in those times, we turn around and hold back fast to God who's already there holding us in those sufferings. Now those are the blessings that come from choosing life, of choosing to be obedient to God, to love him, to follow his commands. And when we choose life today and tomorrow, we have a relationship that grows deeper and deeper with God. We learn to love him, to listen to his voice, and to follow his commands. 
And there's the opposite choice of curse. We can choose death. We can choose to let our hearts be drawn away from him, to put other things above him. Now, those things don't cause us literal physical death, but they do cause us to miss out on the life that Christ came to give us. Because in John 10, Christ tells us that he came to give us life and life abundantly. And that's really good news because being obedient to God and following his commands is impossible for us to do. It's impossible for us to even do it really well. We need the Holy Spirit to work through us and guide us and lead us so that we can do it at all. And that's why Christ had to come. And that's the beautiful part of the story of our salvation, that he came and did it perfectly so that we can have eternity in heaven with him. And also so that we can have life abundant here on earth. Not necessarily the abundance of the American dream, but the abundant life that comes from having a deepening relationship with God so that our joy no longer comes from the accumulation of tangible things. It's no longer from having the nicest house or the newest car or the fastest boat. Instead, our joy comes from watching God work through us to change the lives of people around us. Our hope is no longer in the report from the doctor. Our hope comes from knowing that no matter what that report says, we will all soon be in a place where there is no more suffering and no more sin and no more pain and no more sickness. It means that we no longer use our spouse and our kids and our job and our friends to define us of who we are, to tell us that we're needed and that we're loved. Instead, we start to see ourselves as God sees us with the unbelievable love that he has for us, for all that was given up and sacrificed to win us and to rescue us. And when we start to see ourselves as that valuable to him, to the one who set the stars in the sky, who put the planets in motion, who made the giraffe and the Grand Canyon, and who knit you together in your mother's womb. That's the life that I get to choose and that you get to choose when we choose life. Those are the blessings that we get in our lives. And all of that, I love. I love that that defines my life and that it hopefully defines and drives my decision making every day. But we haven't yet even touched on my favorite part of this verse and what makes it so compelling to me. Because the verse says this, it says, if we choose life, scripture says, choose life so that you and your children may live. This promise of the abundant life through Christ that gives us the ability to love God, to listen to his voice and to hold fast to him, it's not just for us. It's also for our children. Now, if there was an infomercial that said that I could have all those blessings for my kids, I don't care what the cream is or the yard tool or the kitchen gadget, I would buy it. And I would pay three easy payments of $19.99. And <laughs> if you're nice to me, I might give you the additional one that they send me for free, just pay shipping and handling, right? Wouldn't you buy it? I would buy it. But God says that all we have to do is choose life for ourselves. And when we choose life for ourselves, those blessings are passed down to our children. That drives me. Not just for my own kids either, but also for the kids that I serve. Because before I got married and I became a stepmom and before I became a foster mom to my foster daughter, I called my church kids my kids. I still do. I'll talk to you about my kids all the time. I have a couple thousand of them. <laughs> They're my kids. I want all of those blessings to be for all of them. All the Shepherd's Gate kids, they all got a new mom when I got here. Like it or not, they just don't know it yet. 
<laughs> but I want my choices and my life to bring blessings to them, not just to my own kids, but also to them. I don't want to bring curses in their lives. I want my legacy in the life of all of my kids to be one of helping them to love God, to listen to his voice, and to hold fast to him. And as much as I want that in the lives of all of my kids here at Shepherd's Gate, it starts with you. It starts in their homes, with their parents, and with their grandparents, and their aunts, and their uncles. That's kind of a tall order, isn't it? It is for me, too. I am not a perfect stepmom. You can ask John. He'll tell you. He's got stories. I'm not a perfect kids director. But what do I do then? What do you do? You choose life. You choose it today, and you keep on choosing it. Choose it tomorrow. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't matter what you did last year. Choose life and choose it today. I am so thrilled to be here at Shepherd's Gate serving as the family director, and it is my hope and my prayer that as I choose life, that together we can work to make a difference in the lives of your families as you choose life and as you impact the children in your lives. So that in 20 years, my Shepherd's Gate kids aren't just choosing life for themselves, but because they continue to choose life, that generational promise has bled down into the next generation of Shepherd's Gate kids. Amen. So choose life so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity that you give us to be in relationship with you, Lord. God, you could have just made us and set us on this earth and walked away from us, but you didn't. You want to be in a relationship with us. You want us to love you back. And Lord, thank you for that opportunity. God, help us, everyone in here, to choose life, not just for ourselves, but for our children, Lord. Teach us and help us to love you, to listen to your voice, and to hold fast to you in those difficult times. God, be with each person in here. Help them to choose life for the kids that they influence, whether it's their own children, their grandchildren, their nieces and nephews, their neighbor's kids, whoever they have in their life, Lord, let that promise that you made to us extend through us into the lives of our children. God, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.